Kate Cohen is a professional powerlifter and sports psychology PhD candidate. Kate is currently evaluating the strategies that current and former athletes can use that allow them to transfer sports skills to life after sport. These strategies are also of use to coaches, athletic directors, and anyone else who has an impact in athletes' lives. As a recently retired athlete myself, I've been going through this, and listening to Kate really just backed up a lot of what I'd been experiencing and really legitimized it with an evidence-based perspective. We also discuss Kate's career in powerlifting, her longevity in the sport, how she balances training and work, and how you could work with her through her work with Juggernaut Training Systems. Here's Kate. All right, Kate, thank you so much for being here. Kate, can we just start by hearing about your research? Thanks for having me. Yes, so I am very interested in looking at when elite and professional athletes are retiring from their sport. They kind of go through these grief-like symptoms because so much of their time has been spent playing their sport. Um, The demands of going through practices and to competitions on a weekly basis. So they don't really know much different, especially, you know, doing this for sometimes maybe 15, 16 years. And then all of a sudden when they experience a career ending injury or they reach eligibility, now now they no longer have that sport. Mm -hmm. So I'm interested in looking at how we can help these athletes to have a more successful transition out of their sport. So they could be more prepared to kind of take on whatever it is that life after sport will give them. Um, So oftentimes uh, they experience anxiety, they're experiencing depression, loneliness, because they no longer have their teammates and their coaches to rely on for that support. So now they're expected to have to find these new social support networks, or at least to use the ones that they already have Mm -hmm. and to rely on those people to kind of help them through this transition. So oftentimes there's these coping strategies that they could take part in, Mm -hmm. in order to prepare them ahead of time while they're going through this transition. So they're not caught off guard. I love that. And I recently, or I should say, am going through that, stepping away from the hammer throw. And it literally was like my whole life. So I'm so happy to hear a professional perspective on that. With those coping strategies, what are the things that athletes can do? Let's go, let's start with the perspective of current athletes kind of looking towards the metaphorical sunset. What could they do now to help with that transition? Yeah, so a lot of them have very strong athletic identities, just because an athletic identity is the degree to which one associates with their athletic role. Mm-hmm. So they tend to be very strong just because, you know, their coaches expect them to be strong. And as they go through all this time being in their sport, um, their athletic identity is just going to become more exclusive and more foreclosed from other identities. So one of the coping strategies is to be able to explore their other roles, their other identities. So they're not just an athlete, they might be a student, Um, they might be a friend, a daughter, Mm -hmm. a sister, right? So all of these um, 
identities and then looking at the other roles that they could take on. So like, are they, do they enjoy um, art? Mm -hmm. Are they a musician on their own time? So looking at their other hobbies and interests, and those are going to be the roles that they could kind of explore further once they transition out of their sports. So identity role and identity and role exploration is going to be one of these coping strategies. Mm -hmm. Another one is going to be pre-retirement planning. Mm -hmm. So when, and this kind of ties back to that whole athletic identity thing too, when we have these heightened athletic identities, there tends to be decreased career maturity. So they're not so much looking at uh, where their life could take them after sport, because a lot of them think that they are going to go the professional route, mm -hmm. right? But we know that only about 1% of athletes um, at the elite level actually go that professional route. So right. that leaves 99% more that we need to worry about. Um, so the other part of this is that we could have them do that pre-retirement planning where they're looking at different resources of career interests, mm -hmm. um, speaking to people about what it is that they did in their own lives after sport, um, and then kind of taking it from there. Mm -hmm. And then also the last one is really expanding or accentuating their social support networks where they uh, are kind of speaking to friends that are outside their sport, right. where they're speaking to family members, um, speaking to other athletes who have already gone through the process and, and being able to prepare ahead of time for what that life is going to look like. So that's fantastic just to hear it broken down like that. And again, that thinking back to like, did I do that? Partially, right? But <laughs> How, how wonderful it would be to know that and say, hey, maybe my eligibility is up in 2025. I can look ahead. What about the athletes who maybe are, are going through the process, but their career ends when they didn't want it to, right? So there's the eligibility being over. Or for me, I knew that it was my time yeah. and I chose that. And I think that helped me. But what about that athlete who it is because of injury or just something unexpected happening? What could they do or what should they do to be okay with that. Yeah. So there's going to be a lot of emotional kind of grief that's wrapped up in that, especially when the exit out of their sport is involuntary. Mm -hmm. And this is kind of where the research lies in that these are the athletes that we're really worrying about making that smooth transition out of their sport. Right. Um, so with that, just uh, having the expectation, like we never know when we might kind of experience this career ending injury mm -hmm. so having kind of and my mom uses this this phrase ducks in a row beforehand yes. <laughs> <laughs> have all your ducks in a row beforehand so that okay you know god forbid that we do experience this career ending injury well now we could kind of have this backup plan ahead of time mm -hmm. so that is going to it's going to trace back to those same coping mechanisms, support, mm -hmm. exploring your identities and roles, um, having that pre-retirement planning where you're looking at different resources, speaking to different people, uh, filling kind of the cup so that when you go through something like this, it's not completely empty mm -hmm. and you're not just pulling for, for 
kind of these things that are going to help you get back up. Right. What could coaches or even, you know, athletic directors, anyone who's responsible for putting protocol in place for a group of athletes, what could those professionals do to help their athletes along this path, which is basically the path out of their scope? Yeah. So as I'm going through all this research, there's not a whole lot of it. Yeah. Um, different universities, different programs have uh, different ways of going about it. Mm-hmm. We know that, okay, for example, we know athletic identity is going to be one of these main themes. We know that social support is going to be one of these main themes. We know that um, kind of career maturity is going to be another main theme, pre-planned readiness. However, a lot of the programs don't have this structured mm-hmm. um, kind of curriculum of what they're doing with their athletes. Some programs say like they have these uh, workshops in place mm-hmm. and then other ones kind of just say, okay, like go check out your school's resources. Right. And as a 20 year old, 19 year olds, right? Mm-hmm. We're, most of them aren't going to be scoping out resources on their campus about what they could do when they retire from their sport because they mm-hmm. don't see an end to their sport, right? Right. So um, this is kind of where I'm coming in, hopefully, mm-hmm. and I'm creating this program for NCAA retiring athletes where now if we could present all these different topics and lead athletes into um, being informed about the expectations when they retire from their sport, they're more prepared and they could get themselves more mentally prepared. Um, And hopefully this, my goal is to kind of bring this to the different universities where it's like, here, now you have all these modules and all you have to do is show your athletes this for the 15 minutes or whatever it might take. Right. And this way they're, they know, okay, I'm going to have a loss of social support. Okay. I'm going to feel like I'm uneasy. I can't cope as well. I'm going to have a lot of extra room in my schedule. That's not going to be very structured. Um, So preparing them ahead of time is going to be hopefully useful for this so that they can wrap their head around it when it does actually occur. And I love that there's a focus on the what's next, because I think so much of the NCAA is focused on getting athletes to the NCAA. Mm -hmm. Then there's the retention aspect of keeping athletes in the NCAA. And then what? And in the last three years, there's been that crazy extension of eligibility for athletes where a sixth year is no longer so unusual. So I love the focus on the what's next. What would you want an athlete who has maybe recently gone through this and is listening like, I wish I knew that. What could that athlete do now? Maybe it's six months, a year, two years after, and they're still kind of struggling with those things, or maybe one of the three, maybe not all three. What would you tell that athlete? To reach out. Mm -hmm. I would absolutely tell them to reach out because I think there's so often this stigma that's associated with asking for help during these transitions. And Um, especially with the athlete population where, you know, there's that whole um, mental toughness and, and keep coming back and, and stay strong through this and we don't cry and all this stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So I would say that it's okay. And other people have gone through it before you um, and that it's going to make your life, it might be hard to reach out at first, but it's going to make your life a lot easier when you are going through 
things that other people have already gone through it before you. So I love that. And I know the, I think USOPC contracts with a group that does career coaching for athletes. I know that's available. I actually worked for a career services department at a university and alumni could access that, which is most of the time typical, but they just have to reach out. What other resources might there be for athletes looking for either social support, career guidance, or even just this like idea of who else has been through it? I know we have like at at Florida State University, we have this like welfare uh, resource that's mm-hmm. on campus for transitioning mm-hmm. athletes. Um, there's also, I don't know if you've ever heard of this, but the NCAA life skills program. I haven't, no. Okay, so yeah. this is where they t- teach like the athletes how their uh, skills that they learned in sport can be mm-hmm. transferred out of sport. Yes, um, yeah. So like you could use leadership in your job, you could mm-hmm. use communication when speaking with professors or mm-hmm. family members, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so the NCAA Life Skills Program, I think, is offered through um, their website, and basically anybody could get the resources from okay. the NCAA um, yeah. website. I and, love that. I'll link that yeah. in the show description because yeah, yeah. So, and then there's, of course, there's going to be workshops that you have to explore. It just takes a little more effort to kind Mm -hmm. of get your hands on them. But um, yeah, and then for as far as the rest, uh, this is where the gap in the literature is. Right, I can see that, yeah. Yeah, this is where we, I've kind of done extensive research and not finding too much. And this is, this is the issue with all of it. (laughs) So where do you want to take your work? Do you want to be working with that with that gap and bringing that intervention and building those modules? Yep. So I'm already I'm already in the process of doing that now for my dissertation. Mm-hmm. Um, I've already created those modules, and now it's it's going to just be teasing up the work a little bit and getting yeah. my writing in order, and then I'm going to be um, providing these modules to retiring athletes. And that is fantastic. Yeah, so I want to be back in time like six months and have them because yeah. it is so hard. I it know. I'll so send good. them to you. <laughs> yeah, I, I need them. <laughs> it can be so hard, but it can be so good, but it can also be so hard. Um, and it's it's honestly hard for a lot of the athletes to just I think the first part is awareness. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Even just thinking about like, oh, like retiring from my sport, this is all yeah. I know. And yeah. that creates a lot of uneasiness within within them. So mm-hmm. I think just bringing this awareness to them and then letting them cope with that awareness and then taking it a step forward. Okay, now that I know what to expect, what can I do with that? How can I mentally prepare ahead of time in order to kind of move ahead right. as I'm going through all of this? What interested you in this topic? Yeah, so, well, I started off with... um when I first got into my doctoral program, I started off with looking at athletic identity. Okay. And then a lot of the athletic identity stuff traced back to retirement. And so that's kind of where the whole loop started where, okay, so what comes with athletic, strong athletic identities, what comes with this retirement? And then that went into, there's a lot of brief like symptoms. There was like this tangentially, tangentially mentioning that this sport retirement literature could be placed under the grief literature. And I was like, that seems a little iffy. So I'm going to kind of do a 
pilot study on whether the sport retirement literature can actually be placed under grief literature. Mm -hmm. uh, and then that led to the next thing of like, okay, yeah, we know that they're grieving. We know that they're going through this really hard time, especially if the retirement is involuntary. Mm -hmm. But now what? Can we help them? <laughs> and then that's where I started seeing even more of a gap in the literature. Like we knew that they were having trouble separating from teammates and and uh, coaches. We knew that they were having trouble, I guess, separating from that athletic identity or decreasing it to a degree so that they could cope more effectively. Right. And then I started seeing do we have any programs that are going to be helping these athletes once they, once they're going out of sport? Mm -hmm. And that's where I really started seeing like, we don't have anything. It's funny because it's one of the, you know, I use the word retirement when I was thinking about being done with hammer throw and it felt dramatic, right? Yes. I felt like this is, this is silly. I shouldn't call it that. I'm not 65. I'm not 70, mm -hmm. but it was the thing I made all my decisions based on. Yeah. And the choice to step away, even though I was 26, was right. still a retirement. And I still, up until this conversation, have felt silly using that term. Now yeah. I don't, but it yeah. is, it's, and it's crazy because what, there are other careers that are limited to youth in some ways, but sport is something where retirement does happen typically before the age of 30, yeah. 35, with Absolutely. some notable exceptions or sports, but it's just such a different dynamic. Do you think that that's part of the reason why there is a gap in the literature that that retirement happens so early relatively? Yeah. So a lot of, so a lot of this research is honestly a little bit newer. It's mm -hmm. probably dated from like the 1980s, 1990s. Mm -hmm. And before that, we are really looking at uh, career retirement. Right. So when you are in your sixties, you know, late fifties, yes. whatever it might be, um, then that, that vocational um, literature transferred over to the sport retirement literature. And at first we saw that just a little brief history of the sport retirement literature, that it was like a death, you know, when we're, when we're experiencing the sport retirement, it's a death in your life and mm -hmm. you have to kind of be able to just move on from that. Mm -hmm. And then the literature kind of moved into, okay, it's not a death. It could be like the social rebirth process. I was just um, thinking the word rebirth. That, Yes. Yep. So social rebirth process. And then even like Serena Williams, it's pretty cool. Like, you know, that quote was soon as she retired, like we've all heard it at this point, hopefully that yeah. like, it's this evolution. Right. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was so cool. Like it doesn't need to be this negative connotation that's going to be associated with retirement. Mm -hmm. It could be the leeway to being able to or the transition to being able to explore like that hobby that you've been putting off for so long. Mm -hmm. It could be that, that time where you now make new friends. You can now speak to other athletes who have gone through similar processes as you have, mm -hmm. or it could just be kind of um, having this ability to now say to yourself, like, I made it through that. Yeah. What's next, you know? And that brings a lot of I guess, self-esteem and confidence and heightens all of that. So um, yeah, even though retirement, sport retirement always tends to have this like what next type of thing, mm -hmm. it doesn't need to be like that. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. <laughs> when you look at your experience in sport, how do you use these ideas in your own career as a professional powerlifter? Yeah, so 
a lot of my time right now, so I was a long-term uh, competitive soccer player for about 14 years. Me too. Um, <laughs> and it's great. And I yeah. miss it a whole lot, but at the same time, I'm like, what's next? And right. that, that was always kind of my attitude about it. Like what's next? I don't, mm -hmm. that doesn't mean I need to give up my athletics. It doesn't need to mean I need to give up my competitiveness. Mm -hmm. I can just go into the next thing and bring those uh skills into whatever it is that I'm going to work on next mm -hmm. um so being a soccer player for a really long time and I wrestled in high school I Very pole vaulted cool. I ran track um but with those things I'm like okay like that's always going to be in me so mm -hmm. now it's going to be the next thing of being a power lifter so I've been doing that for about 12 years at this point mm -hmm. and you know, I've experienced injuries. I've broken a rib. I've torn my ACLs when I was playing soccer and everything. So it's that next step of like, okay, here's the setback, but how can I move forward? And how mm -hmm. can I get through this to the next, the next part of this, whatever that might be. So for now, you know, I'm enjoying the whole powerlifting thing. It's been really, really good to me. And I have really taken an interest in it. And I've, I've done well with it. So you know, as long as I could keep going and doing this, I'm going to keep going and doing it. Love it. Now with doing well, I feel like that's a big understatement and I'll just bring that to the table. <laughs> um, can you share your accolades a bit, uh, what you do, where you compete, your numbers, and I think also if it's okay relative to weight class, because I think super, super impressive there. Yep. So I started off powerlifting as a 52 kilogram lifter. Mm -hmm. um, that was, that's 114. And back when I was a junior and collegiate lifter, when I first started about 12 years ago, uh, I had the American deadlift record. Um, also the co well, collegiate and junior deadlift record, bench mm -hmm. and squat records. Um, and then I've after I left the collegiate and junior divisions, I went into the open divisions. Mm -hmm. And at this point, I started going down a weight class to be a little bit more competitive in the lower weight classes. Mm -hmm. And since then, I have uh, taken first and for many competitions, I've gotten state records for New Jersey, New Jersey, Virginia, Florida, um, Delaware, and did I say Virginia? I think, <laughs> I think so. I yeah. Amazing. Um, so after that, I went uh, recently to nationals um, and I took third place for nationals and I earned my pro card. Congratulations. Year. Thank you. And, yes. and since then, um, we're just kind of seeing where, how much more we could go. And, and mm -hmm. so being third place for a 48 kilogram class, I went back up to the 52 kilogram mm -hmm. class. And now I kind of want to see where that can go. <laughs> awesome. And that's how I actually found you connected with you is powerlifting yeah. has been my what's next of sport yeah. requirement. And it's given me that aspect of learning a new skill, exercising, yeah. finding new social networks. So mm -hmm. I love that we were talking about this too, because for me, at least Very there's cool. a little bit of this full circle and also know. <laughs> looking towards your, your path and, and learning from it. What do you attribute your longevity to in powerlifting? Um, one is probably keeping my ego in check with like mm -hmm. weights and following the program and everything like that. Um, so I do follow juggernaut AI's program 
And that has helped me to where you're not just maxing out every day or seeing right. how much weight, lift, how much weight you could lift every day, right? Mm -hmm. That's not going to work for the long run, but also at the same time, being able to push myself and mm -hmm. drive myself. So when that happens, like I'm gaining energy from that, it's giving mm -hmm. me a goal for the next part of it. Mm -hmm. um, so those small process goals are definitely what's helped me a whole lot, um, rather than just seeing the end all the all like outcome goal. Of, right. like, I want to win this, right? Yep. It has to be steps. So I think I've used a lot of my sports technology in that to mm -hmm. kind of make these small short term goals. And, and that's helped me get to the next thing and the next thing. Right. So. How do you balance uh, training as a professional power lifter, being a full time full-time sports psychology PhD student and just all the other demands of life. What does that look like in your life? So my uh, mornings begin very early and, and I like might look a little crazy because I go, go to sleep at like 7 p.m. <laughs> but... I'm an 8 p.m. girly. So yes. me too. I get it. get it. Yep, I 100% so get it. And everyone thinks it's Other like... people might not, but that's okay. But it and works. Have... It works. And I have to be very, very strict with that. So, mm -hmm. you know, I have to make sure that I'm kind of taking the other opinions of other people yeah. out of it and yeah. just doing what I know works for me. So right. it usually ends up being 7 p.m. I'll, I'll be in bed. I wake up around 3.34 in the morning, wow. get to the gym around five-ish, mm -hmm. um, we'll do my whole workout. And that leaves me feeling good for the rest of the day. And then the rest mm -hmm. of the day usually encompasses now. Um, it's a little more open in a way with, in terms of classes, I'm a little mm -hmm. more separate from that, but at the same time, it has to do a lot with my dissertation writing. Mm -hmm. So I enjoy it. I enjoy knowing that, okay, I got my workout done in the morning. Now let me go spend a few hours at the coffee shop and, yeah. and, uh, write some. And then in between all of that, I make sure to have my social life and speak to my friends and use that support. Yeah. <laughs> for myself and uh, speak to my family and everything like that. So, yeah, that's, that's great that, you know, you have that schedule that works for you. And I just see that application of what your work is in. Yes. Um, in addition to that, you also provide some individual coaching through Juggernaut. Can you share a bit more about what you offer service-wise and how people could find you and work with you? Yep. So I, I'm Juggernaut's mental performance coach, um, recently just got that title. So that's pretty cool. And so with that, it's one-on-one -on -one individualized coaching. So if I have a client who brings to me, you know, even a preventative thing where they want to work on some type of mental aspect within mm -hmm. their training or their competing, um, that's okay. Usually there's these like myths associated with it that, okay, one, I need to be this elite level athlete in order to get this mental performance coaching. Um, or I need to already be experiencing some major mental setback in order mm -hmm. for me to seek out some professional help. Um, we know that those are all just myths mm -hmm. and uh, to be able to work on it ahead of time is only going to help someone's training, right? Yes. You know, it's not just physical, yep. you know, a lot of it has to do with the mental side of this. Um, so just as you would put all this time into physical training, we need to put some time into mental training and that's on a daily practice also. 
Um, so I work in terms of uh, different topics, might be anxiety regulation, arousal uh, regulation, might be just coping with some type of aspect of their lifts or their training, um, burnout, it might be having to do with confidence and motivation. So all the different topics that align with whatever it is that you're mentally struggling with can mm -hmm. be addressed within these sessions. Mm -hmm. So usually the sessions will begin with just getting to know my client, because if we have that trust built in between our sessions, then of course, it's going to be much better. Mm -hmm. If I know your goals ahead of time, um, that way I could be able to help you with your goals throughout the session. So uh, that's kind of a little bit about it. And mm -hmm. my coaching page is found on jtsstrength.com and just go into the coaching tab and then should be able to find my name. Fantastic. Right and I can attest, I know I have not worked with you, but I worked with a sports psychologist, mental performance coach my last season of training. And I attribute so much of the ability to perform when I needed to, to that, the ability right. to balance training with my life priorities, if that makes yeah. sense. And so yeah. I love that you shared that aspect too, of it, it's preventative. Yes. And it's yes, for performance it and well-being. And those two can and should go together. Absolutely. Absolutely. And even just like mental techniques, sometimes people don't know what they are, you know, self-talk yeah. and, yeah. and just visualization. Like I know I'm a, I'm a total advocate of visualization. I mm -hmm. use it every single day in my training, mm -hmm. but by being in the field, I've really learned to hone in on the techniques that can help strengthen this visualization process. Right. And I'm using it daily with my lifts and, and daily in my training and just with my goals and seeing myself ahead of time before I even touch the bar. Yeah. So it doesn't take, it doesn't take any effort in order to be able to see it in your mind over and over and over again. So you could do it 1 million times and you haven't lost any energy from doing this. Yes. So you've already yeah. gained your mental practice that way. So just something to consider in, in that regard too. Definitely. How could people follow your journey and your story? Um, if that's social media or elsewhere? Yeah, I'm, I'm a big uh, social media Instagram girl. So I'll put a lot of my progress up there and it's more, it's accountability, but it's also a way for me to connect to other people like yes. yourself yes. that are in my world. <laughs> and um, so my Instagram handle is Kate, K-A-T-E-C-O-220. So um, most, of, most of my progress will be there. And then also Juggernaut does put up some of the YouTube uh, mm -hmm. content that I've done. So find it on there as well. Awesome. Just type in my name on YouTube and, and stuff should come up. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, Kate, thank you so much for sharing your Thanks story, so much, sharing Laura. your knowledge about this kind of realm of sports psychology and advice for athletes. Awesome. Thank you so Thanks. much for having me. I really yeah. appreciate it.